на трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Okay, so good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the in the wonderful world of the planet we call Earth, and welcome to the second edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. Again, I'm delighted to welcome two distinguished guests to our um, to our worldwide panel this week. Um, it's quite funny, really, because this is very representative of Russia, because we have three different time zones going on today. So um, if our first guest is Mr. Andrew Flint. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Thomas. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. And um, where are you in the world today? Uh, I am five hours ahead of England in Tumen, which is the world-famous city, the centre of oil production, just east of the Ural Mountains. Okay, brilliant. And um, we also have Ilya Sokolov. Yeah, right. Hi, yeah. guys. I'm uh, in Moscow, uh, Russia's capital. So, uh, three hours ahead of England. Okay, lovely. Whereabouts in Moscow are you, Ilya? Uh, we're in Moscow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the southwest of Moscow. Uh, actually, it's in, in the center of Moscow right now because uh, they have widened the city. So, yeah. Oh, right. Uh, okay. you can, we can consider it a center. <laughs> okay, so, uh, we've, so we're currently uh, 9.25 in England. I make that 12.25 in Moscow and 2.25 in Tumen. I think that's all correct, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> okay, so listeners, welcome again to the uh, the second edition, as I said. Um, this week, well, last week we discussed more of the playing side. This week we're going to go more off-field. Um, in recent times in Russian football, there's been a somewhat case of bad ownership and various sort of uh, strange dwellings in the boardrooms of Russian football <laughs> clubs. A lot of the Russian football clubs are actually owned by state or state-owned companies. Now, I know quite a few of you won't be familiar with that. So, um, Andrew, do you just want to sort of explain to the listeners how it works? Well, I mean, the the difference is, is huge. Um, when I came over to Russia a few years ago, my local side, for example, is only, well, was then in the third tier. Um, and they are funded entirely by the local uh, government. Um, so the stadium is owned by the government. Um, and in theory, it sounds good from one perspective. Um, if the if the funding is there, the club itself has no debt, but then the local governments often do. So, um, so my club at a lower level certainly has struggled. But, I mean, historically, clubs such as the major clubs in, in the capital. I mean, Locomotive, for example, the name itself tells you the state's uh, railway company um, owned them. And they have done for a long time. Um, what it means is that there is slightly less independence and less um, transparency with the goings-on behind the scenes. So um, it's certainly an unusual and uncomfortable situation, I would say, especially in light of um, what we're seeing with Dynamo and Locomotive this season. So um, it's it's very unusual for English listeners. Yeah, it is certainly a strange one. I mean, um, you mentioned Locomotive there and Ilya, a couple of weeks back on the Russian Football News website, uh, russianfootballnews.com, if listeners want to go and look. Um, Ilya, you wrote a fantastic piece on Locomotive's um, sort of ownership struggles and as Andrew said they're owned by the railways so um, do you want to just sort of expand on the problems going on at Locomotive specifically Elia? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Um, they're actually owned not by Russian Railways, but they're owned by their sub-company. But uh, basically, they're really owned by Russian Railways, and they're their uh, primary sponsor. Um, and it's kind of strange because we all know that Russian Railways uh, don't need uh, any sponsor, like, because... Uh, what do they need a sponsor if they are a monopoly, uh, especially in Russia? Uh, there are no alternatives. Uh, and uh, the market value of their sponsorship contract uh, with the locomotive is considered to be around like uh, 40 million, uh, or some uh, companies say it's just 10 million, uh, 10 million euro. So, uh, and that's why uh, Lokomotiv got some problems with the UEFA Fair Play because, uh, like, uh, Lokomotiv's budget is uh, about uh, uh, 100 million. And so, uh, where do other money come from? They are not coming from, like, the sponsorship because the market value is much lower. And that's why there are some problems uh, with that. And, uh, the thing is that uh, Lokomotiv has no income. Uh, basically, they just return only 20% of the budget uh, they get from uh, Russian railways. Uh, so that's why, uh, actually, it's impossible to solve such a problem. They, they got new sponsors, so you can see, like, uh, when uh, the Cherevchenko is interviewed uh, after the game, you can see like uh, locomotive sponsors behind him. But uh, if you actually look at them, they are all uh, sub companies of uh, Russian railways, and uh, I don't think uh, that uh, it will suit UEFA. Uh, and uh, definitely, it will be a tough year. The next uh, year will be tough for Locomotive uh, in terms of UEFA fair play. Yeah, it's quite strange because um, was it Lokomotiv's uh, sort of sponsorship money? When did it go past the fifty percent mark that's allowed by UEFA? Am I right in thinking that? Uh, yeah, actually. So yeah, if, if we have like uh, only forty million and ma- at maximum forty million of fair money, and then they get like sixty million from just just. Uh, funding not sponsorship so yeah uh, they basically uh, have like above 50 percent money so yeah yeah and um andrew it's certainly a strange one because um we'll come on to it later but dinamo have actually been uh, banned by uefa from entering european competition this season you would think that um locomotive would go through the same punishment do you think there's any particular reason for that um, on the face of it, it's hard to it's hard to distinguish between them really. But um, my my theory is that <clears throat> the uh, the the branding, the VTB Bank uh, branding, um, it just seems to be too too public. I don't know what the word is. I don't know how to describe it. But Dynamo can't really they they have a leg to stand on. I mean, it's just um, it's for me has shades of uh, of Manchester City's Etihad sponsorship and um, the the way that they have the name of the, the stadium naming rights as well as the shirt sponsorship for quite ludicrous sums of money. Um, I don't I don't know the finer ins and outs of what is allowed in what term in terms of what type of sponsorship is allowed, whether the stadium can be included in that. But um I I, I can't really answer that. I find it too 
I find it too strange. I I think it's um, I think it's unfair. Yeah, do you think this is sort of? I mean, Andrew very interestingly mentioned Manchester City there, who obviously have um, quite a lot of money through um, their owners. Ilya, do you think uh, this sort of lynching by UEFA, if you want to call it, is sort of a persecution against Russian clubs because we don't seem to see it elsewhere? Yeah, and I don't think it's fair because uh, that was uh, always the case with Russia. Like uh, this uh, state uh, sponsorship, they're, like they are owned by said companies and. Uh, in Soviet era, and uh, was they were, they were owned by state companies in Russia, uh, and uh, I think that uh, they should bear it in mind. I mean, when uh, try to um, like when they work with Russian teams, they should bear in mind because th- there's no way to there's no other way to get that money to to get that amount of money. So uh, yeah, of course there is like uh, an opportunity to just. Uh, Get, have a 10 million budget or so 100 million budget so yeah the, but uh, that would be a disaster for the whole russian league because i mean no no team will survive of course no of course and uh, what's certainly interesting about locomotive here andrew is that they're sur- they're currently um, they're second in the league despite all this um, this going on it's it's a very strange situation you'd think they'd be sort of down in the dumps well, I mean, you would. Um, I, for me, it's. I, I still find it strange how they are second of the league just based on their on their performances, which might sound odd because they have had some, they had some stunning results until until recently. Um, and Nias, of course, Umar Nias is on fire. Um, but even the very first game of the season um, against Mordovia. Um, I just I remember watching, thinking, you know, they've got some they've got some phenomenal players on the pitch, um, and yet they didn't seem to be there didn't seem to be a huge amount of urgency in that first game, um, and the I the, the goal I remember the um, Revishvili um, just seemed to watch as the ball dribbled past him, and I thought, well, that's a lucky win, um, and. It's it's impressive how they've managed to do it, given the number of fixtures they've had with the Europa League. And um, on top of that, I'm very surprised. I, I didn't see it coming. Um, but, well, good luck to them. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Ilya, are you sort of taken by surprise by Locomotive's good form, like Andrew? Or were you sort of a bit more... Did you predict it a bit more, so to say? Uh, yeah, of course. I was surprised like at the start <laughs> of the season because yeah, I well knew that Tereshchenko is actually an experienced coach because uh, he started to work at Lok- Lokomotiv like uh, seven years ago and he worked with uh, many coaches like Bilic or Kuchuk or Bozovic. So, and uh, I don't think there is any other person in this world who knows uh, Lokomotiv players better. So, uh, But still, I can predict that I can predict uh, a very good game, the first game of the season. I mean, and a super cup against Zenit. Uh, this pressing was uh, like uh, it was really impressive, and um, the game against Sporting too. Uh, of course, like if we talk about recent results, uh, they are not that good. Yeah, Lokomotiv lost uh, three games in a row, in, uh, like uh, two in the league and one in the Russian Cup. Uh, but still, I think uh, that in this situation, when the coach knows how to use, the, the, uh, use his players, uh, knows the 
better qualities uh, so he'll manage to to better to like to find a solution yeah i mean the thing is it sort of sounds by your reactions that you are totally surprised but i, I will just remind you both that they did win the russian cup last season so it's a bit of a bit of a strange one really i mean yeah were you going to come in on that andrew i just heard your, your bre- in, in breath. <laughs> well no i i was um I was I was going to say about um, Alexei Miranchuk um, last year. I was I was just so thrilled to see a young Russian player in a big game with such technique and composure. Um, I thought at the end, and this is going to sound odd, the end of last season watching the cup. I thought, okay, they've gone through a bit of a bit of a rough season, but that's a good way to finish. They've got Miranchuk as a spearhead. Um, and I was optimistic for them then. Um, and it's, well, yeah, the, the cup was, the cup proved that it's worth something. Um, clearly, it was a way to resurrect the end of season, um, give a showcase to them. So um, as much as anything, I was pleased for the Russian Cup that a team was, you know, so proud, so pleased to win it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was optimistic for them then. Yeah, and uh, sort of a, a sort of quite agonising loss to uh, Zenit Sankt Peterborg in the um, in the Super Cup on penalties. I mean, it's a very dramatic end to that game. Um, Ilya, obviously we saw Lokomotiv not really do much business in the summer. Do you, can you see anything come January? Do you think they'll sort of look to do anything there, or is the ownership too much of a problem? No, no, I don't think so. I think that uh, the only thing they could do is selling Yasser and. Uh, it actually was some rumors, like he's mentioning, like uh, he's was linked with uh, Chelsea, I think, with like with the sum of twenty million euros. Uh, I don't believe it, but still, if he can be sold, he should be because uh, he's actually not that good as many consider. Because if you watch <laughs> his his game, his uh, latest games against uh, Rostov and. Uh, <clears throat> Kuban, he had a lot of chances to score, and he actually has every game he has uh, several chances and he misses them. Uh, and he is considered good because he scores every game. But uh, when he doesn't, uh, we all see that uh, he actually not uh, that impressive. So uh, if uh, any other club, if any club from English Premier Premier League uh, wants to buy him, so we we gotta sell him for a good amount of money. Actually, Lokomotiv needs money so uh, and i don't think they will they're gonna buy uh, any player maybe uh, they'll sign a free agent if they find one on the market but uh, yeah considering their financial problems they, they won't um quick prediction between before we move on to dinamo do you think they will still maintain sort of their title challenge andrew um as much as anything, because the others are faltering, I'd say I'd say they'll be there or thereabouts. Um, I mean, I won't say for the title. I've, I think it's as good as a, a foregone conclusion now um, for CSKA. But I think they will be certainly challenging for Champions League places. OK, and Ilya, quick prediction from you? Yeah, I agree with Andrew that uh, they won't fight for the title, but maybe Champions League sport or at least Europa League sport, yeah. Yeah, that, definitely would, can do. that would, of course, um, especially the Champions League, which would uh, garner some extra income. Now, 
Um, we mentioned the other club, uh, Dinamo Moscow, of course, sort of a, a proud sort of uh, flag bearer of Russian football, sort of the first Russian champions, the, the club of the great Soviet goalkeeper Lev Yashin. Obviously seeing more um, sort of disaster at that club like Lokomotiv. Andrew, do you just sort of want to explain? We mentioned uh, VTB earlier. Do you just want to just explain to the listeners how, how that's set up there in Moscow? Well, I mean, beginning... Um... I forget the exact date, but in the summer, um, UEFA were investigating the the VTB sponsorship and um, they were due to, of course, take part in the Europa League, um, but were were thrown out after, I mean, understandably, when you look at the details of, of the sponsorship, it, was, it wasn't legitimate. Um, and, um, I mean, as a result, there's been a fire sale there. Um, I mean, if you look at the... The German website Transfer Marks, looking at the transfer market value and the sale of the players that they've lost, they they lost about sort of sixty seventy percent of the value of you know players like Jujak, um, Valbuena. Oh, I was I was oh, I almost cried when he left. He he was my the first part of last season, possibly my favourite player in the league. Um, he started to sulk a bit, I guess, towards the end of the season. But what a player! And to lose him for so little. He wouldn't be French if he didn't sulk, though, would he? So, um... <laughs> ah, good point. <laughs> but yeah, if, uh, just for the listeners, if you haven't seen Valbuena's goal against Zenit in the early part of last season, that's that's worth checking out on YouTube. Um, Ilya, we, I mean, Andrew's going on about the fire sale there, but a key member of the squad they kept, of course, is Alexander Kokorin. Um, do you th- I mean, we've heard that he's accepted a a lower contract. Do you think that um, with rumour Premier League, well, English Premier League interested, he's, he's going to leave? Or, or do you think he's sort of quite happy to sit on his, his money at Dinamo? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he's happy. But, uh, you know, the thing is, like, uh, I think, yeah, English club want him want to buy him. And I hope that uh, uh, Arsenal and Tottenham scouts aren't listening to this post- podcast right now because what I'm going to say is that uh, he's... Uh, 26 year old right now. I mean, there are a lot of sources that he's two years older than he's uh, considered to be. Like he's not 24, he's 26. So uh, if he moves to England, uh, he would be considered as a future star. But when uh, he actually will be just on top of his form, and he'll be at his 27th, for example. Yeah. So. Uh, and uh, considering that he knows that <laughs> he is like two years older, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but the, I heard from many sources, from my scouting course I attended, from uh, like uh, some insiders. So uh, I think uh, he would prefer to stay here and to, to get even more money, with, uh, like considering uh, that, uh, I guess... Uh, Next season, only uh, five five uh, foreign players will be allowed on the pitch, so uh, he'll get uh, like extra million. Uh, so yeah, I don't think he uh, has any intention to uh, leave Russia. It's it's not bad money, is it? Um, although Andrew, with those, obviously this fire sale, it's um, generally bad for the club. I've seen it with my own club here in uh, Birmingham, Birmingham City. We've had uh, a lot of financial problems, mm. but um, it has meant a lot of youth player. Of players have come through. The same's happened at Dynamo. Do you actually think that this is sort of um, a good thing is the wrong word, but you, you see what I'm leading at. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. Um, I, I, I guess I'd have to say it's it's got some benefit. Um, 
there are a whole raft of. I mean, the 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 youth players coming through, uh, Grigory Morozov. Um, I've been impressed with him. Um, he's shown a lot of maturity. Um, it's an obvious benefit in one sense. The only worry I have is that it's it's going to start. Well, I hope it doesn't. But if it started a trend of forcing youngsters onto the pitch because we want them to be there really what i believe the answer is 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 education for the right development of players are the players being guided in the right way when they are 15 16 17 and their eyes are on the first team and may perhaps they are thinking of earning the big bucks rather than you know genuinely forging a career for themselves um and and that sounds a bit overly critical it's not these youngsters faults at Dynamo this season um I just I hope it doesn't become a trend to force it too much um to force these youngsters onto the pitch um but it's certainly got some benefit yeah I mean um it's certainly an interesting one they, they do seem to be faltering a bit in the league though I mean an interesting point with them um, VTB Bank who do own Dynamo apparently the the sponsorship deal is worth 10 times uh, the amount that UEFA sort of um, value these things at with their their partners. So um, the allowed sponsorship is seven million, and V2P sponsorship is uh, well, no, the the sponsorship was valued at seven million. Sorry, and it, it's actually seventy million. So uh, obviously a bit of a strange one there. Um, Ilya, why do you think that Dynamo are faltering while Lokomotive are doing so well? Is there a, is there a specific reason between the two? Oh uh, well, Lokomotive uh, <laughs> will have. I mean, uh, will have. Uh, problems with UEFA next year but uh, this year they didn't sell anyone they just uh, they got Kalamesa who really is a good player I mean he's uh, uh, very useful this season he can play in two positions like a defender midfielder or attacking midfielder and so uh, yeah we didn't sell Torluca who like has a very high uh, high wages and uh, uh we have other uh, other stars in the team who are, who are still there. Uh, that's the reason. I mean, if next year we'll have to sell all of them, uh, we'll be in the same situation, and maybe even worse because uh, our our young players are not that good as Dynamos. Because you you, you remember that the Dynamo youth uh, won uh, two latest uh, championships, the latest youth championships. Uh, so. Locomotive doesn't have such results. So, um, obviously we've seen Dynamo kicked out of European competition this season. Andrew, do you think that Locomotive and Dynamo could swap places? I.e. Dynamo will be allowed back in and Locomotive could be banned? Uh, the thing with Russian football is you can't rule anything out. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think... Um, I think, like Ilya says, there is that risk about next season for Locomotive. Um I uh, will will Dinamo have done enough over this season to have redeemed themselves under the financial fair play rules um I I think they've certainly gone a long way towards it um I mean the wage bill is the obvious one um uh, I don't know I I would worry a little if I was um locomotive supporter I mean like Ilya says the high wage earners, or not certainly most of them, have stayed, and that could could be a problem if the sponsorship deal is is studied more closely by UEFA. Um, I think, honestly, I think Locomotive will probably be okay, but 
you know, what do, what do I know? What will happen? Who knows? So um, just before we sort of move on to a slightly more uh, positive theme uh, for a few last minutes, <laughs> um, Elio, do, what do, regarding state ownership and these sort of problems that Russian clubs seem to be getting into, what, what would your solution be? Do you, do you have any sort of idea? <laughs> oh, really? Uh, no, I, I don't think so, because everything depends uh, on us. I mean, on people who live in Russia and attend games, and we we actually don't. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I attend as a press guy, so I don't pay for uh, <laughs> any any anything to the club. And yeah, and that's why they don't have any income. They uh, because like. Uh, Russians just don't don't want to, to to watch football, and I understand them because sometimes it's just cold and you can do nothing with it. And sometimes, yeah, uh, old stadiums. Maybe this is the reason because, like, now uh, Spartak has better attendance uh, than uh, so. Yeah, maybe with new stadiums, uh, it will be easier for the clubs to uh, get more money. To have better income, so yeah, this is a solution. The only solution I, I have. <laughs> what I would say with those new stadiums, though, is obviously they're going to be a lot bigger, and they're struggling to get fans in smaller stadiums at the moment. So it could be an interesting one. Um, Andrew, would you sort of have any solution? Um, well, it's uh, it's virtually impossible. Um, I it, unfortunately, I think I think I agree with both of you what you just said about the stadia. Um, I, I agree with Ilya that the new stage certainly garners a lot of interest. I mean, look at um, the uh, Rubin's Kazan arena. They had, what was it, almost a full house or, or was a full house for their first game. Um, but, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. Um, it was, what, average of 10,000 fans. The novelty um, wears off quickly as well, Andrew. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's the problem. I mean, a novelty is not the best way to build a business plan. Um Solution, it has to be long-term. It has to be connecting with the fans better. Um, you know, spending more time on the coaching at a youth level. Um, it's, it's not a nice answer because it takes time, but unfortunately that's what I think it needs um, to, to make change happen. Okay, so we're, we're all predicting rather bleak futures, which is unfortunate for a, a Russian football podcast. But like I said, um, we're going to move on to sort of a more positive theme now. Now, if you look at the uh, the Premier League table last season, in the relegation playoffs were Rostov and Ural. Now, this season, um, Rostov especially are flying really high. But um, I want to come to Ural first, because Andrew, I know you sort of living in Siberia, you've got quite a connection with Ural. Do you just want to sort of explain to the listeners what's happened? Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about the, the relegation playoff um, because their uh, World Cup stadium in the Centralny uh, is being redeveloped. They, they've they been on the road a little bit and they came to my city, to Tumen, for the last <clears throat> three regular season games and the playoff. Um, so uh, by the time of the playoffs, um, Fyodor Smolov had moved on to Krasnodar, um, but... For that game, they were protecting a a 1-0 lead going into the second leg. And it was a very odd, odd atmosphere. It was, um, there were a lot of fans who came, good 3,000, 4,000 came from Yekaterinburg. And uh, it felt like a training match. It felt like a practice match. There was no intensity, no urgency. And I, I couldn't help think, but, you know, this is the sort of match where, you know, it will drag on till 60, 70 minutes, um, 
away team will score an equalising goal and then suddenly you'll regret it. Um, but they got through. Um, I spoke to Gerson Acevedo after the game and he almost said he was thinking of leaving. Um, he said, well, of course, I'm going to think of other clubs if they come along. Fortunately, he stayed um, and he's, I, I, I love him as a player. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful player. Um, and Ural are just, well, I think they're playing out of their skin. They've got pace out wide, which I like. Um, so it's, it's incredible, the turnaround um, from last season to this. Yeah, and Ilya, the other team I mentioned there was uh, Rostov. I mean, quite interesting. They they had the goals of, well, I say the goals didn't score that many, but um, Artyom Zuba last season, who of course can't stop scoring at Zenit last night. And uh, just going to do a little pat on the back for myself. I put out a tweet last night saying pigs will fly before Artyom Zuba stopped scoring. And it got quite a few uh, <laughs> and things. So, um, Ilya, what do you think Rostov's rise is, is down to? Of course, lost uh, Vitaly Jakov as well from the centre-back. Oh, I think it just lies on uh, Berdia because I, I can consider him as one of the best coaches in Russia and if we talk about building defense I think he's the best in Russia even better and the slow scale village boys show anyone else and uh, we see that uh, I mean take the game against Lokomotiv uh, you know that if uh, you concede first against Rostov it's 90% chance that you lose because it's just impossible to score when Berdiv is satisfied with his result and I mean uh, some people say that he's uh, like coach from Soviet era, like old style, but actually he's uh, pretty smart and uh, he uses all these uh, modern programs like um, take uh, instat football and a lot of analytics and he uh, even uh, has a special guy in his uh, coaching staff who just uh, spies for him, who watches like, uh, other teams' trainings. Uh, I don't think any other team has such a guy. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, this success lies on him. And uh, the second reason is uh, this squad is actually pretty good. Like, uh, take the players like they have, for example... Uh, Kalachov, uh, I mean, he's actually better than Samedov, for example, who plays for Lokomotiv. But uh, the problem with Kalachov is he doesn't have Russian passport. Uh, so that's why he plays for Rostov. But uh, basically all these players like Sassanavas, so, um, Janaev, who was in Spartak before, uh, they're good and they're actually able to fight for European spots. And, um, of course, there's been a lot of hype this season, Andrew, about a particular player, Ural uh, Yerokhin. Do you just want, sort of want to explain to the listeners who sort of haven't really seen much of him? What, what sort of player is he? Well, he's he's been playing a lot in, I guess you'd describe as a false nine role in, in a lot of games this season. He's really a, an attacking midfielder. He's He's got a very upright position he's 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 always alert he's always ready to move he's very agile um and he has a phenomenal eye for goal um spectacular finishing um i think the pick of the bunch for me was not actually perhaps his best finish but simply the most important one uh, well one of the most when uh Tedic came to Yekaterinburg and and they were leading 3-2 I think it was and rain was pouring down and and it was just a counter-attack going flying forward and it was he had one chance one touch to to put it in and 
you know, a lot of players you'd almost technique-wise understand if they sliced the ball wide, but he controlled it beautifully and it went. And he just has the utter confidence in himself at the moment. Such as his technique, he's able to fill the gap up front that I believe Udal have. Um, I mean, Spartak Gorgniev is 34 now. Um, he's, he's filled in once or twice, but he's he's not really a long-term solution. But Yerokin is um, technically brilliant. Um, Ilya, do you think Yerokin could sort of... Um, you mentioned Kokorin earlier. Do you think Yerokin could sort of match Kokorin? Oh, yeah. I mean... Uh... Yeah, Rahim, yeah, he's uh, for, he's really considered one of the one of the guys who should uh, soon move to a bigger club. Yes. So yeah, definitely. I would like to see him to watch him in a team like Spartak, for example, or Lokomotiv. Uh or maybe abroad, like the rumors about him playing in sporting. So yeah. They have they yeah, they play actually a little bit different positions, so it's kinda hard to compare Kakori and Yarohin. But yeah, in CPT, he doesn't play for a national team. I think he could add something. Ilya, do you think that Ural can sort of stay the course and keep on keep on going as they've been going all season? I was actually surprised that uh, Ural is doing that good after Gontarenko's departure. So, uh, because like uh, I thought that uh, they their success they didn't have success actually before his departure but they they played pretty good they had good games and even the games they lost uh, and i was really surprised that Kripchenko is doing good he won all the games except uh, those against csk uh, had several draws but still yeah I, i'm afraid that uh, they'll lose the momentum i mean they won't be that successful in the second part of the season. Uh, I don't think they will, they will even uh, fight for uh, Europa League spots. Yeah, I mean, just uh, you mentioned Goncharenko there, of course, the recently departed coach. Just for those who don't know, he left under a, a cloud of match-fixing, which is certainly the, the non-pretty side of uh, football, which seems to happen quite regularly, unfortunately. Um, the other team we mentioned, of course, Andrew, was Rostov, um, currently flying high uh, above mm. the current champion Zenit. Do you, I mean, do you think they could challenge for Europe? Well, uh, I, my, my heart certainly says yes. Um, I, I think I, I certainly agree with what Ilya said about Berdiev. Um, he clearly is uh, one of the most astute minds um, in Russian football. And um, I mean, even, even English viewers, British viewers, uh, worldwide followers of Russian football will be aware of him from uh, Rubin. I mean, what a dynasty he he built. Um, and he's sensible. He will get the results they need. Whereas, uh, can I see anybody... Zanit, of course, they stand out just one point below them. Um, for obvious reasons, they will be there or thereabouts. Um, Spartak, less so, but obviously they have some players. But I, I'm going to say yes. I, I think they will hang on to fourth spot this season. So Europa League for Rostov. Yeah, I think so. And um, Ilya, what do you think of sort of? Uh, do you think they'll finish Europa League there? Well, actually, yeah, I would think so if uh, we weren't in Russia, because uh, uh, what Rostov uh, is famous for is uh, some sort of like strange games and some match fixing. I don't think that uh, they actually need this uh, Europa League because remember when they won Russian Cup, they they weren't uh, actually happy about uh, 
playing in Europa League because uh, maybe it meant that uh, they have to pay more for uh, their players. They have some bonuses they and uh, the club just doesn't have money to pay. It. And uh, actually... Uh, yeah, Europa League. Yeah, of course they they can get some money from like just playing there and playing in some even in qualifying rounds. But uh, it's not that much maybe comparing to the bonuses they would have to pay. And still, uh, I think that roster is just satisfied with uh, staying in the league. And uh, I mean, I think they will lose several games in the second half. And that's what happened with uh, all other teams, uh, which reminded me of roster, like Spartak Nalci. There are some teams that actually uh, should fight for like staying in the league and they were on top, but then they just... uh, uh, finishing mid table in tenth place or something. So yeah, uh, I think that will be the case with Rostov. Some, uh, some obviously some great ambition going on at Rostov, not wanting European football. Um, so we predicted Europa League for them. Andrew, what about Ural? Where do you think they can finish this season? Um, I, I don't think they will. I don't think they will have enough for the whole season. Um, I mean, the I would love them to for for personal reasons. Then I can. Um, watch European football uh, next door, just a few hundred kilometres down the road. Um, but um, I, I was always worried that they wouldn't replace Smoloff because um, last season he was he was brilliant for them. He was he was a he was the talisman. Um, and you know when they brought in Carlos Strandberg, I thought okay maybe you know he's got a bit to prove, a bit raw, but he'll score a few. Um, and he's he's barely been used at all, and I, I don't I don't see where the money's going to come from to buy a or at least pay the wages of a quality striker, and I think that's what's going to be the undoing of them. Um, I think they will rely too much on Yerok and, and Acevedo for goals. Um, so mid table, I think, um, better than last season though. Um, Ilya, prediction for Ural. Any, I mean, they'll they'll obviously stay above relegation, but any sort of uh, ambitions for them? Uh, no, I actually agree with Andrew. I think, yeah, instead of Rostov, I think Neural has ambitions in, to play in Europa League, but I don't think that will able they will able to um, uh, compete with Krasnodar, for example, who, who are like uh, look much better than they did uh, the beginning of the season. So I think yeah, mid table finish. Hopefully some good times for Ural after a few years down in the dumps. Just before we go, we did it last week. Um, Ilya, do you want to just uh, give the listeners your, your Twitter handle so they can give you a quick follow? Yeah, sure. My Twitter is uh, LocoSocal. The first part is from Locomotive, L-O-K-O, and the second part, Sokol, is from my last name, S-O-K-O-L. And there's a hyphen so- in between there, is there, or is it just a, uh, a straight word? No, just uh, just one word. Okay, brilliant. LocoSocal. And uh, Andrew? Uh, mine is Andrew M I J Flint F L I N T, and uh, there's certainly some uh, the sparking twitters on there. Sorry for the awful pun. Um, <laughs> okay, so we've had quite an interesting uh, discussion today, going through sort of the depths of ownership and sort of the depressing side of Russian football, but we've also got the bright side of Russian football in 
uh, with uh, Ural and Rostov. Um, just for listeners, do check out the website, uh, russianfootballnews.com. We are at Russ Football News. Uh, if anyone's interested, uh, my Twitter handle is Thomas underscore Giles, which is G-I-L-E-S underscore UK. And um, do follow the betting tips. I mean, I know, I think uh, all three of us, are we all in profit at the moment on the betting tips? Just. <laughs> just. Uh, Ilya, what about you? Oh, just, I'm uh, sorry. Don't follow my betting tips, guys. <laughs> Don't do that, really. <laughs> okay, well, I think, I think I'm on duty this week, so um, hopefully I'll to bring you a bit of success. So do check that out because you can, you can earn a bit of money. And I know, I know the, Ilya, despite your pessimism, I know that the website is in profit overall. So do follow our tips <laughs> and uh, you'll, you'll win some money on there. So uh, once again, thank you for listening, uh, to this podcast i've been your host tom thank you again to andrew and Ilya. thank you uh, so much for joining me in uh, our different time zones and um, we'll see you when you next see you so uh, goodbye <laughs>